you guys are mad. <laughs> Crazy and wild. And it's just fantastic. It's great to be here. Um, I came to check you out last week. And uh, <laughs> what am I getting into? And uh, I just sneaked out the back. And uh, you know what? I totally loved it. Um, just loved the freedom. Loved the honesty. Loved the rawness. Um, it was just amazing. I thought, you know what? These guys are the same DNA. And it's just amazing when you can come and you can just be part of a family. So I'm not thinking of myself as a guest speaker. I'm just thinking of myself as being part of a family. And I'm going to share some family stuff with you today. Um, but just let me set the scene, first of all. I mean, we live in the most incredible days. We live in the most exciting days since the very, very, very beginning of time. We absolutely do. We live in a time when our world has been shaken upside down. Um, I'm an economist, I have a PhD in economics, and I love watching to see the big changes globally and what happens in the nations and the shaking that God does because what happens when you see that is you see the fingerprints of God and you see the very prophetic words of God released thousands of years ago being fulfilled today. We live in days where the guys in the Bible would have given their eye teeth to be alive in. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need to get excited about being alive today. (laughs) And in this day of incredible prophetic fulfillment, we are seeing major power shifts happening that are rocking, rocking, Rocking? <laughs> I'm drunk. These guys have been in their pre-prayer meeting, I'll tell you. Anyway, it's a good feeling. I don't care. Right. Major power shifts are happening. And horizontally, the balance of power is shifting from west to east. Vertically, the balance is shifting from nations to legislation being made on a, on a global stage. And we have people like Paddy Ashdown, and he's saying what we're seeing is 400 years of Western domination finishing. We have people like him saying we haven't a clue what to do. And so on one hand, you have this phenomenal shaking going on in the world. You see, and what you're seeing is everything is, is becoming interconnected as well. Have you noticed Like someone gets swine flu today in Japan, it can be here tomorrow. Someone gets an antidote for AIDS in China, it could be here today. A click about a button and you've got encyclopedic knowledge. And why are all these things happening? Because God is fulfilling prophecy because it is time. And we are on the verge of the biggest outpouring of God our world has ever seen. And on one hand, you're seeing the economy's been shaken. You're seeing established institutions that have been there that people have put their trust in being shaken and crumbling down. And in its place, God is raising up people with an entrepreneurial spirit. We're in a season where kingdoms are fighting for attention. We're in a season where the balance of power is shifting. It's shifting in the natural. It's shifting across geographies. It's shifting across the political arena. It's shifting across the laws and the legislations. 
You'd never, you have to wake up because there's never been a time like this ever in the world where everything that can be shaken is being shaken. And it's not just a political landscape. There's a spiritual revolution that's taken place underneath all of that. And I did some research and I found out eight years ago, 35% of the UK's population said to believe in life after death. Four years ago, 43% of the population said they believed in life after death. Two years ago, 70% said they believed in life after death. There is a spiritual revolution, revolution taking place underneath what we're seeing going on. And you're not going to read these things in the headlines yet, but you will. Okay. So all of that's going on, and what that means is there's a fantastic opportunity for us to help write our future's history. And I want to say today that every single one of you have a personal invitation to partner with an awesome God and see history made. Turn to your neighbor and say, you have an opportunity to write our future's history. <laughs> Sounds exciting. <laughs> and it should sound exciting because it's phenomenal. It absolutely is. We're living in a time, let me recap, we're living in a time when two kingdoms, a tale of two kingdoms is what I would describe this. Hey, we're living in a time with two kingdoms, two opposing kingdoms are rising up. Both are releasing their power on society. Both are clamoring for our attention. And we get the choice, which one do we give our attention to? And I'm not just talking about the lost world, I'm talking about every single one of you and me. Every day I have to make these choices. Which kingdom do I give my attention to? The negative words, the rubbish, the lies, the disappointments, or the glory rising? Which one do I give my attention to? And so as I was praying about today, I had a sense I needed to set a, a backdrop. Um, but I also sense that some of you have been given some promises from God and you haven't seen these promises fulfilled and you're beginning to feel a little bit discouraged. I got a sense that some of you feel as if your life has gone through a bit of a shredder. Mmm, whiplash, whoa, what happened there? Some of you have been told that you have incredible destinies. Some of your kids have incredible destinies. And yet you're in that in-between time where you have a promise from God, a really exciting destiny in front of you, and yet from where you're standing, it's like, hey, wow, I can't see that God. Maybe, maybe that wacky old guy that gave me that prophecy or that enthusiastic woman, maybe she was wired to the moon. <laughs> yeah. And so today, I just sense God, if there's a title for today, it's Knowing God's Victory in the in-between times. All right? And I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, I am going to know God's victory in my in-between times. 
cool. Let me tell you of an amazing thing that happened even just yesterday. Uh, we had a leaders meeting with our Light and Life guys. We had about 60 of them gathered together. And we do this once a year and we just give God a blank sheet of paper and we say, we have no idea, God, we just want to partner with you. And so that yesterday was one of those days where we had a vision day where we got together and my PA's husband was there. I'm not going to say his name because this is recorded. And my PA's husband had had an incredible stutter all of his life. And it affected the way he would speak. And he he didn't want to be up front. He wanted to hide in the background because he was really embarrassed. And yesterday, God healed him absolutely of his stutter. Yeah. And then the healing of it, his face got rearranged. And he stood there and he read Isaiah 53 flawlessly. We were in tears. We could not speak. It was like, way God, you're awesome. But that man had to live 30 years with that stutter. And he'd been told years ago that he'd be healed. And he began to get discouraged. And what I want to say here today is when God speaks, the power of an unfulfilled prophetic word from God has the power and authority to call that which is not into that which needs to be. God could have chosen to make the world any way he wanted. He chose to do it through words. Why? Because he wanted us to catch the vision of what it is to partner with him and to be able to speak prophetic words from his heart and to speak into situations of darkness and create light. To speak into things that are not and call them forth as they need to be. Our God is God that takes the word impossible. And he rips it into tiny little shreds. And as he does it, I think he says, ha, ha, ha. So if you want a breakthrough word today, it's ha, ha, ha. My God is a God that takes the word impossible and he rips it into tiny little shreds. And so I want to speak about God's victory in between times. And I want to look at the life of David. Now, I don't have time to read all the chapters, so read all of 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, when you go home. Okay, right. 1 Samuel 16, verse 13, it says, Samuel took the, the horn of oil and he anointed David as king in the presence of his brothers. And from that day onwards, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. Now, when it happened, he was about 10 years old. It excites me. I've got a son who's 11. And God's got an awesome destiny for that boy. But he was just 10, between 10 and 12 years old when he was anointed to be king. So keep your finger there. And in 2 Samuel 5, verse 3 and 4, said, the elders of Israel came to David at Hebron and they anointed David king. David was 30 years old when that anointing happened. He had to wait 20 years between being called and fully walking into his destiny. That's a long time to wait. 20 years. And sometimes in our life there's that gap between what God says and the calling that he gives us and when we fully walk into that. And if we don't understand heaven's ways, then we can become discouraged. But God wants us to be a people who know his victory 
in the in-between times as well. And in David's life, God used that time. (laughs) God used that time to give him keys that would make him a more successful king when he eventually walked into his destiny than he would ever have been beforehand. And today I want to share some of these keys with you. Does that sound okay? Holy Spirit, will you come and intensify your presence in here even more? Holy Spirit, will you come and rip down every single mindset that would get a new way of knowing you as the God who takes the word impossible and rips it to tiny shreds? Holy Spirit, breathe on us. Breathe resuscitation breath into us. Breathe resurrection life into our dreams, God, that have died. God, let this be a day where we put a line in the sand and where we cross over knowing that you are the God who is with us every moment, every day, regardless of what the circumstances look like. In Jesus' name. Oh. So, the story, once upon a time. (laughs) Hey. (laughs) It all starts when David gets anointed. Short time later, out of all the guys in the whole blooming land, someone says to King Saul, I know someone who can play the liar. And suddenly, within days, he's gone from being in the field with the sheep to being in a place of influence in the palace. And then a little while later, this little boy sees this giant. <laughs> Anyone got a giant in their life? Sees this giant. And um, he enters the scene and he takes him out and suddenly he becomes a public hero. Um, And even just in those three bits, shepherd boy, palace, killing giants, I want you to recognize that the kingdom of God has seasons. And it's important to know which season you're in (laughs) because each season requires you to behave in a different way. The first season... David was a shepherd boy. He was a pastor. He'd look after the sheep. Click. Suddenly, no build up, no warning, bang, boom, shift. God's seasons changed. He's a worship leader. He's in the palace. He's setting atmospheres, shifting atmospheres, hosting the presence of God. Bang, shift, boom. He's killing giants. Bang, shift, boom. He's killed the giant and he's a public hero. He's been offered the king's daughter in marriage and his best friends for the king's son. The kingdom of God has seasons. And for us to know God's victory in the in-between times, we need to know which season we're in. Because if he tried to play the liar in front of Goliath, he'd got his head ripped off. Yeah? That was the season for him to be the warrior. And actually, it's okay to be both, but you need to know which time to bring out which thing and which way to behave. And the takeaway from knowing the seasons of God is that last season's strategies will not win this season's victory. (laughs) What was it? Last season's strategies will not win this season's victory. And do you want to know why? 
Because if we were able to put together a rule book, if I do that, then God will do this. And if I do that, then that will happen. We would run away with our little rule books. Hey, I've got my rule book. Hey, I could change the world. Uh, and we'd forget about God. And so <laughs> he hasn't given us a rule book. Instead, he's given us an invitation to a phenomenal relationship. And we have to march to the sound of his heartbeat. And every season is different. And every season we need to know what God's now word is for us to know his victory. Okay, so David's story. Shepherd boy, worship leader, giant killer public hero. Oh, sounds great. <laughs> Maybe the wacky old prophet was right after all. Maybe he'd got it right. Because when Samuel prophesied of him, let's face it, didn't look too realistic, eh? I think the guy had, had a big beep at too much. He'd been in one of these prayer meetings, you know, he was off with the fairies. Anyway, <laughs> didn't look too realistic, did it? Shepherd boy, king. Uh-uh, don't think so. Got that one wrong, pal, but it's all right. We all make mistakes. Right. Suddenly, He's in the palace. Warp, speed, acceleration of God. Season, 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 bang, there he is. Suddenly it all looks possible. You can almost imagine him saying, Yay, God, hey, I feel so good, dude. Do you know, you can see him. It's all going to plan. <laughs> oh. Until one day, Saul hears these guys. Singing the wrong song. Watch out, worship leaders, no pressure. But here we are. They're singing a song. Saul killed his thousands. David killed ten thousands. Boom, that was it. The guy went ballistic. And all of a sudden, it's like David's life screeched to a halt. If it had been a runaway train, you would have heard the screeching sound of it coming to a sudden stop. And he was no longer the blue-eyed boy of favor. All of a sudden, he was public enemy number one. Bang, shift in season. Don't like that season, God. Tough. (laughs) And in David's case, when that happened to him and he was on the run, he had no home. He had no safe place. In fact... The guy was worse off than before he'd been given the blooming prophetic word. Wow! Don't prophesy over me anymore. (laughs) I've got a little girl called Rachel, and um, she's not here, I hope. Right, anyway. uh, When she was growing up, um, she had a habit of saying, "Uh uh-oh, when things would go wrong. And often she'd be the instigator of the uh-ohs. And particularly if I was going somewhere really special and I was wearing a really good navy suit, it had to be navy or something, and she'd come along with vanilla ice cream. And, of course, it would end up all down me, and she'd look at me with her big eyes and grin and say, uh-oh, mummy, and off she'd scamper. <laughs> In that moment where Saul's jealousy turned him into a raging psychopath, David had one of the biggest oh-ohs in history. And I just wonder, 
whether any of you have ever faced an oh-oh moment. <laughs> and it all starts to go wrong. Wow. I had one. I don't normally share this, but I'm going to. Uh, June last year, um, I discovered a lump on my breast. And uh, I got really scared about that because it runs in my family. And it was a hard lump. And I had to wait to get the results back from the doctor. And in that time between discovering the lump and getting the results from the doctor were the longest days of my life. And I would look at my kids and they didn't know. And I would wonder, would they be okay? Would they not? And I would look at light in life and I'd think, right, I need, to, I need to be a good leader. I need to have and raise up someone else to take on and make sure the vision gets fulfilled. And I went through that period of a little bit like the Israelites were with Goliath. When they saw him, they got paralyzed with fear. And if I'm going to be honest with you, this great woman of faith and power in that season found herself, the more she looked at the giant of cancer, feeling a little bit paralyzed. Yeah? Until... I was on a journey to Inverness, and I put on some worship music in the background. And you know one of these moments when you just feel the presence of God just flood the car? I don't know how we manage to drive sometimes. But anyway, the presence of God flooded the car. And I, I sensed God, not audibly, but I sensed him say to me really clearly, have I not called you to lead this move of God? And have I not shown you what the end result looks like? Yes, God. Have I not called you to be the mum of these kids? And have I not shown you things in the future that you will do with them? Yes, God. And it was like a wake-up call, and from that moment, he said, use those unfulfilled prophecies and take your intercession life up, not one gear, but several gears, Now, I can't say I changed instantly, but I began to have hope. And from that moment, I put my hand over my chest and I started to say, I curse cancer in Jesus' name. I release the healing power of heaven into me in Jesus' name. God, you have said you have a destiny for me, and therefore I call that destiny back into alignment, and I call my body back into the alignment of your plan for my life. I got the results, and they were negative. Woohoo! And the woman said to me, you could have surgery to have the lump removed. And I said, it's okay, lump, be removed in Jesus' name. And I have no lump today. But I am here as a living testimony that our God is a God who fulfills his word, even though at times... You're looking at the circumstances and you're saying, I can't see the way forward, God. He's faithful in the in-between times. So let's run back to David for a second. He's on the run from Saul. His life has become a style of going from one place to another. But he has some unfulfilled prophecies, doesn't he? He has a promise from God that one day he's going to be king. And I just want to talk about a couple of other obstacles he had to face. He comes to this little village called Keilah. And when he arrived, it's under the attack of the Philistines. So what does David do? Not like he doesn't have enough trouble, you know, at that point in time. But being who he is and being the man he is, he immediately goes to the defense of this village. And he rescues them. But later on, he's praying and he's saying, God, will Saul find out I'm here? 
And if he does, will these guys I've just rescued, will they protect me? <laughs> and God says to him, Saul knows you're here, he's coming to get you, and these guys are going to turn you in. Wow. I'll tell you what the lesson is for that in a wee minute. But first of all, so he flees from there and he goes to a place called Ziklag. And there he is playing the hero again out. He's actually destroying the enemies of Israel, but he's working alongside the Philistines this time. But he's been really sneaky about it. He's still killing off the enemies of Israel. And then one day they say, we don't want you to fight today because we're going to fight Israel and you might turn on us. So he goes back to Ziklag with these guys and he finds that the Amalekites have come and they've raided the town and taken off all the, the, the wives and the children. Another oh, oh moment. And it said, what did the, the, these guys do? Did they say, okay, bro, we're with you right to the very end. God, you know, David, we're really with you. We're going to support you. No, they didn't, did they? What did they say? You, you're dead. We're going to stone you. <laughs> no wonder we read and David was a bit distressed. Do you know, I think I might have been a bit distressed I think I'd have been saying, I need a sozo, and I need it now. And so do they. So what are the lessons from these two things? In Keilah, you see, the last time David won a public victory, it took him from obscurity to being a public hero. And I think when he went to Keilah, he was thinking, this worked last time. And so if I can just win another battle, these guys are going to love me all over again. But it didn't work. Because last year's strategies, or last season's strategies, won't win this season's victory. And then in the second one, what was happening at Ziklag? Well, until he faced his obstacle at Ziklag, he had a a bunch of guys around about him that were really for him. He was in tight with these guys, and whenever things were going tough, he could get around them. I don't think they had pubs in these days, but if they did, they'd go down to the pub for a beer, or they'd have a barbecue, or they'd do something. They had these mates. And, you know, I think maybe God had to show him <laughs> that he couldn't depend on his mates for victory, but his dependence and his strength needed to be in God. If he was going to be a good king then he couldn't be under the influence of even his closest mates. He had to be at the point where his strength depended on God alone. And so we read, and David strengthened himself in God, and I love this as a leader, because God gave him an absolute killer strategy. He says to his guys, ready to stone him, oh, I don't like you anymore, some leader you are. Not that that's ever happened to me or anyone here, I'm sure. Anyway... And God says to him, he spends time with God. We don't know exactly what God says, but he turns around to his guys and he says something really simple. Come on, guys, we've got wives and kids to bring back. And suddenly shift their back on side again. What happened? He called them back to the destiny. He called them back <laughs> to their purpose and their destiny. And he gave them a vision of something that God wanted to do. When he could have moaned, he could have said, I've served you all these years. Look at you guys. Seeing that, I this, and you, and what? But he didn't. He simply got before God. And then he called them back into their destiny. And that's a kingdom example of leadership. And 
In that battle, the last one, just before he lost the kids and everything, of course, they went and they got them. In case you wonder what happened, and they, ha- they did live happily ever after in that. And they got the wives back, the kids back, they got some extra loot as well. Anyway, but what happened when the Philistines had sent him away in that battle that David wasn't allowed to take part in, Saul and Jonathan got killed. And in David's darkest moment was actually standing in front of an unseen door that was just about to open. His darkest moment led him to the back door of his destiny. And after that battle, he got anointed king. Wow. Turn to your neighbor and say, God can take my darkest moments and turn them into the back door of my destiny. So I'm going to quickly recap, and then I'm going to show you a video that if you've got a heart pacemaker, you might want to get some prayer before you watch it. Okay, it's kind of cool. So what are some of the lessons in David's in-between years? Number one, the kingdom of God is seasons. Know which season you're in, and don't get frustrated because someone else is in a different season. It's okay. It doesn't change your destiny. It doesn't impact it one bit. Number two. Choose God's promises over the circumstances. Whatever it looks like. If God has given a word from his heart over your life, it is true and it carries power. And if things start to go wrong, strengthen yourself in God and up the intercession. Let there be a release of authority in your intercession here today. You are not just ordinary wee people. You are people who are filled with the very breath of God. And you can partner with him and you can prophesy that which is not into that which needs to be. Number three, the kingdom of God is built on relationships, not on formulas. Get rid of the rule books. (laughs) You like that one? (laughs) And number four... (laughs) Know what it is to strengthen yourself in God. David had developed that habit of getting before him and getting into his presence and saying, God, come and fill me. God, waste me. God, wreck me. God, show me your will today. So we are living in some of the most incredible days since the very beginning of time. Every one of you have a personal invitation to partner with God and see your future history and the future history of this nation and other nations written. On the other hand, the kingdom of darkness is competing for your attention. Choose which kingdom will you give your attention to. And just before we show this video, I've got a wee story. Sunday school teacher was writing a Bible passage to her class. And she said, And God sent a big fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of that fish three days and three nights. And Jonah prayed to God. And God spoke to the fish. And it vomited Jonah up onto dry land. And she asked her Sunday school class, Can anyone tell me what that story 
tells us, what lesson can we learn from that story? And we Johnny puts his hand up, please, miss, you can't keep a good man down. Okay, I've just lowered the tone completely. David had some stuff in his life. He had some obstacles. It was tough at times. He had disappointment, rejection, betrayal, loneliness, grief, fear. Any one of these could have been a barrier to him if he allowed it to be. Same David wrote in the Psalms, Psalm 18, with my God, I can scale any wall. Turn to your neighbor and say, with my God, I can, tur- I can scale any wall. Okay, now I've got a little, a little video, which I think, uh, are we good to go? When you watch this video, just a minute, go back to the beginning, it's, it's a video of Dan Osman speed climbing up a rock face. Please don't try this at home, right? But as you watch it, I want you to think of the things that would get in the way of you walking into your destiny in God. What are the impossible situations that you are facing right now? As you watch this, imagine yourself in God scaling that wall. Go for it. The kingdom of God is arising. You're called to help usher in the biggest move of God this world has ever seen. And with our God, you can scale absolutely any wall.